0: Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you have children around you at all, uh, you know that there are times in your lives when they find that they need things from you that only you can supply. Our boys and girls know what that's like. Particularly our little boys and girls. Maybe you need mom and dad to get you something out of the closet or out of the refrigerator because the place that you need to go is just too high for you. or You just can't get it. or You're not strong enough maybe to open the door. I found that uh, boys and girls, you might look at me and think, well, he's a pretty tall guy. Uh, And I know a lot of times when I go into a grocery store, I sometimes wish that I... Maybe had a part-time job of, of helping out shorter people. Because I'll be walking down an aisleway and somebody will be saying to me, Sir, could you, could you help me get that box on that top level there? I just can't reach that. Believe me, it happens often. We all find ourselves in situations, one time or another, where things get too big for us. Things get too hard for us. Crises strike us. Problems come up and and we need somebody who's bigger and stronger than we are. And you have a situation like that in this passage that we just read out of Acts 4. As the apostles, along with the rest of the church at that time, realized that they had a problem that needed somebody that was bigger and stronger than they were. And so they do the right thing, and the sensible thing, and that is they turn to the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth and pray. You think about how the church back in Acts prayed to the Lord for courage. That's what we see going on here. And they want to do that so that they can speak the the word of the Lord with boldness. When it would otherwise be difficult to do. And as we look at that thought this morning, uh, we want to consider the, the prelude to the prayer here in Acts chapter 4. The prayer itself and then also the aftermath or, aftermath or what you might call the postlude to the prayer. First of all, we want to consider the prelude to the prayer. We, we hear that the Apostle Peter and John are released, don't we, from our passage. They're released from the powers that be. They're released from the Jewish leadership. And that's rightfully so, and and you know, when you think about governments being against Christians, we would hope that Christians would be those who would live lives that are above reproach, and, and be in a situation like Peter and John were. There was no reason to arrest them. Because all that they did was in word and deed righteous, whether it was proclaiming the the sovereignty in the name that was above all names, Jesus Christ, or whether it had to do with the help that they gave to a, a poor, a blind, uh, lame beggar who needed their help. And the Jewish leadership could not charge anything against them, but instead, of course, responding to that uh, with a magnification themselves and a praise to the name of Jesus. They do the opposite thing as they're trying to maintain their own name and maintain their own power. They, they simply tell Peter and John, we don't want you to speak in that name anymore. It doesn't matter what it accomplished. It doesn't matter that the, the evidence is clear that this name is magnificent and there is no other name under heaven by which you're going to be saved. We don't care about that. We only care about ourselves. And we don't want you to speak about that name anymore. So now the apostles have a problem. And it's a very formidable one. They basically have the government against them. And that's not fun. You know, in certain situations, and and maybe the church leadership's known that, I know in my own experience in times past, I've had times where critical things have happened, and I was thankful that, Even the mayor of the town in which I found myself was in favor of me. He was supportive of me, and it meant a lot. But what's happening here is not not atypical. It is typical for for the government and the church to clash. It's what you got going here. They, they, They have the government against them, the ruling powers of the Jewish nation commanding them by their word, not to speak the word of the Lord. And so they go to the church and, and report to them, do the apostles, and they don't talk to them about what the apostles have done, but what the opposition to Christ has said. And it wasn't a time to consider so much then what the apostles had done in the past, but what the church and what the apostles are going to do in the future in light of the word of the Jewish ruling body that's told them you are not to speak this name anymore. It was a critical moment for the church. How do you stand up against those who have the physical power that you don't? How do you stand up, in other words, against things that are bigger than you are? And seemingly stronger. And you know that's a question for the church in our day as well, isn't it? In all sorts of things. And and whether it has to do with boldly proclaiming the word of the Lord, regardless of the ramifications of doing so. Or whether it has to do with with whatever crisis that we have to face that appears to be bigger and, and more than we can handle. In time of crisis, there's remedy. There is. We need not fear. You know, Romans 12:12 12, 12 tells us, "Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be constant in prayer. And that's how the apostles handled this. That's how the church at that time responded to their crisis. They turned in one accord, we hear, uh, to the one who was bigger than their problems, stronger than their opposition, and in total control of their situation, praise God, fully aware of their situation, and able and willing to help. They prayed. In the time of crisis, prayer is what they needed. And in the time of crisis, it was praying that they knew that they needed to do. Prayer is that blessed instrument that the Lord provides to us to use in our time of need, particularly when the problems that we face seem to be so much bigger than we are, and particularly when the situation is critical and and so seemingly out of our hands. Prayer is so helpful to us when we're facing futures that are difficult to face. And you may be looking at your life right now that way. Prayer is, is good for us as we look back on what the Lord has done for us in thanksgiving, but it's also a blessing. To use when the future is not an easy one for us, especially when we see the vanity of evil around us. How greater still when those prayers can be shared together as, as God's people. That's what they do here, don't they? They lifted their voices together to God. And prayer in that way can be a great unifier. Unity of faith, like the church had back then, moved them to unity in prayer. When the needs are common, when the crisis is shared, when the burdens are borne together, when the concerns are communal, prayers that are uttered can be great expressions of the unity that we share in Jesus Christ. And we have that opportunity when whenever we hear the call to worship and we come together in unity to worship and and to pray to the to the one true God, the sovereign Lord of, of heaven and earth in Jesus' name. You know, I had a chance to be able to be a part of the classes meeting on Friday. And one of the things that impressed me, and it's just another way in which this happens, is you have these churches come together, as they do, and there's various things that are discussed. But the brothers, when they discussed them, didn't just discuss them, they said, now we got to spend some time in prayer together about those things. They come together in union, but that union gives them that opportunity also to pray in union. And you know, the very fact that we can pray together can be an edifying and an encouraging moment for us as God's people in Jesus Christ. And and I'm of the impression that we oftentimes lose sight of that. Because we think about praying, but we don't always think about praying together. And we don't always think about when we're coming together to worship that that's part of what we're called to do. And that we're coming together not just to suit my own needs, but I'm coming together with my brothers and my sisters. And together we're considering all the needs that are out there for the church of Jesus Christ. And, and what an edifying thing that can be then for us to, to remember that when we're worshiping, that we're also coming to worship uh, with a prayerful spirit. And remembering the needs of God's people and and God's cause that way. And so the prelude of the prayer benefits us as it reminds us of the importance of prayer in times of crisis or need. And and how it it unites us and how it encourages us as we share our, our burdens. And we pray, not just by ourselves, but when we pray together. We also want to take a look at the prayer itself. It starts out... Uh, By addressing God as the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That's a great way to start, isn't it? it? That's a remarkable comfort when a prayer begins that way. It's a great way to set the tone, especially in a time of crisis. It was an appropriate address, given how it eludes, as we sang a moment ago from Psalm 146, where in that psalm, we see the contrast between putting our trust in princes, whose plans come to nothing, and putting our trust in the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, and whose plans come to fruition, just as he seeks to do. Now the situation in Acts 4 is very similar to what was happening in Psalm 146. Because you had the powers speaking their word, and they had their plans, and then you had the apostles calling to obey, and then in turn to speak boldly the word of God. The church in Acts 4 appeals to a higher court than the Jewish ruling body. They appeal to the highest court there is, the court of the sovereign Lord, their help, their hope. The one that Psalm 146 would say also is the one who sets prisoners free. And it's that sovereignty that, that again, sets the tone for the quotation from Psalm 2. And the, the petition for which the apostles pray. And since it is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is sovereign and he's in control and he has the power that's above everything, then it, it, it fits so well to throw Psalm 2 into here and say, Why then do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and his anointed? Because that's what happened when Herod and Pilate and the peoples of Israel and the Gentiles, really what they're saying here is really the, the peoples of the world, after all, Jew and Gentile, they plot to rid the world of its God and his Christ. You know, that's just the folly, isn't it? Of sinful mankind to oppose God and his Christ. Whenever we sin, we're doing that. And it's folly. It's vain. It serves no purpose. It's a waste of time. It's meaningless. It's empty. It's void. It's, it is when you try to, to contend with God and his Christ. And of course, that showed most evidently. There isn't a greater example of that than when they crucified the Lord of glory. It showed most evidently at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that didn't work out well for those who plotted in vain against God and his Christ. Because God just took that and says, I'm going to use that to bring salvation to my people, which I have planned from eternity. And now that plotting is going on again. It's happening all over again in the church of Jesus Christ. So what was true about the suffering Christ of God is now happening to his suffering church. But there's courage to be found in the midst of this prayer, to be found in both these situations, isn't there? Because where the church, from where the church was standing... While potent rage and conspiracy was at work against the Christ and his church, there was reason for courage. There was reason for courage because after all the raging and conspiring that was going on, all of that was empty. It's vain. It was like the psalmist was saying, why would somebody try to take on someone whose kingdom and power and control was infinitely greater than their own, from whom they derived their power after all. It's all for nothing. It'll end in failure. it just be a waste of time and effort. And that is the anti-Christian way, isn't it? After all. That, that is the way it is When you refuse or you are impenitently have an attitude that says, I am not going to follow God. I am not going to follow Christ. I am going to go like a sheep my own way. It's just empty. It's just meaningless. It's just devoid of purpose and fullness But that's not the way it is for those who proclaim the word of God. And it's not that way when it is for those who follow Christ. It's just the opposite. Another reason for courage is that such conspiring doesn't surprise the Lord, the sovereign Lord at all. And that's, of course, where we always have to keep things in mind too, right? When, we, when we're recognizing sin around us, or we're tempted in sin, or we're in the midst of crisis because of sin. We can't kick God out of the situation. Or think that God is somehow ignorant about what's going on. Sin likes to think that. But when we are called to be followers of Christ, we cannot look at things like that because if we do, we lose hope. And when we lose hope, uh, we're not willing to, to follow Christ anymore. We're not willing to trust Christ. And we're willing to, we're tempted to suck ourselves into the very anti Christian spirit that seems, that seems to work so mightily against us. All of this conspiring, all these plans of men are superseded by and in, in control of the plans of the sovereign Lord. And so much so that in his plans and in his times, he turns it all to his glory. So that we glory in the cross of everything that they wanted to use to shame him. And in that matter that everybody wanted to use to shame God and His Christ, it is there we find the benefit of those who belong to Him in Christ. In Christ's case, He ends up with the name that's above every name. And that's why Christ could have the courage that He had to face everything that He had to face, because it was for the joys that were set before Him under the plans of God that enabled him to endure the cross and everything that he had to face because he who was with him was greater than he who was in the world. Those who were with him were greater than with those who were with them. (laughs) And that was the courage into which his church could tap as well. As it confronted her challenges and her fears and her calls to obey. Uh, and obedience, that's anything. You know, not only is the preaching of the word of the Lord to the world not in vain, but, but the preaching of the word can be courageously done despite the threats of men. Because whatever it is that might be the reaction of the world, God's going to take that and turn it to the profit of his people and to the glory of his name. Because that's all part of his plan. That's what he's planned from eternity. He's got that all under control. He's got that all locked up. If it was vain and empty for anybody to conspire against the Lord at the time of Christ, it is equally so for those who would conspire against his church. That's called to proclaim with boldness the word of the Lord until the time of Christ Jesus but also called to trust and follow Christ. And to do so with an understanding and a conviction that doing that is not the empty thing, it is the right thing, it is the meaningful thing, it is that which makes life worth living. There's courage to be found here, isn't there? I mean, we may find it fearful to speak the name of the Lord because we don't want people to make fun of us or to hate us or to think we're nuts. Or worse yet, hurt us or kill us for what they think is fanatical behavior, intolerant behavior, old-fashioned behavior. There could be a temptation to, to be afraid to speak the truth of the gospel in the church or in the world. Church leaders have that temptation all the time. They want everybody to like them. There can be a temptation for us to, to be afraid to do what's right or, or face our crises properly because we believe that what we fear is too great to overcome. But we don't have to be afraid. Not when we remember that the God and his Christ whom we profess are far bigger than, than anything or, or anyone we might fear as we're called by God to obey. And to trust Him. Even the opposition that we might face will be used by the Lord to to further His good purposes in the end, even as He's planned from the beginning. Apostles in the church knew that what was true about the Christ would be true about His church. People and governments alike would be opposed to the cause of Christ. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You sense that sometimes, maybe more than ever. But that never stopped the Christ in his courage, and, and that shouldn't stop us in our courage to speak the word boldly to the world and to do what's right, because that's the meaningful way, after all. Right? We should be encouraged in word and deed all the more. In fact, we're called to that, aren't we? All the more to be these things in increased fashion, in a better fashion, because we know. Who's got the ultimate power and and sovereignty and control? We know that our king is greater than the kings of the earth. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. It's why the church prays. And it's not so much for safety, as it were, but for courage and obedience. Our petitions can easily become prayers for what we want. You know, and not for what we ought to be. Such was not the case with the church's prayer in Acts four, and the postlude to the postlude to the prayer underscores that. There's a two-sided answer to the prayer, and what we see in the postlude here. On the one hand, we see that the place where they were sitting was shaken by the Lord. Our passage says. You know, what a confirmation that the church has received with that kind of a sign. It it certainly showed that the Lord approved of this prayer and would answer this prayer. But it also pointed to what the Lord was going to do to the world itself. When what was prayed for would be carried out. The world would be shaken with the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also know that the prayer was answered because what they asked for was what occurred right we we hear that they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness they prayed that they might proclaim boldly and that's exactly what happened that's not natural this doesn't happen without god's benevolence it never does They were filled, we see, with the Holy Spirit to speak the word of the Lord boldly. The church needed the spirit who was bigger than their problems because their problems were bigger than they were. And whenever we find ourselves or people proclaiming the word of the Lord boldly, that's an answer to prayer. Whenever we find ourselves obeying... As we've prayed that we would. We know that that obedience is only by the grace of God. Which gives us all the more reason to gather here and praise God for what he's allowed us to do. Even as we come to praise God for what only he could do for us in Christ. But that's why we pray after all, isn't it? We pray first of all in accordance with the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Hallowed be your name. We pray Seeking the Lord's help so that we would be not less and shrink away from our callings, but that we would be more. We'd be all the more obedient. We'd be better at it. We won't grow weary of it. We pray for things, surely. But but the priority of our prayers, as was the case for the church long ago, is so that the name of the Lord might be all the more magnified in our lives. We talked about this this afternoon about that subtle shift that we can make between focusing on ourselves rather than focusing on God, and and here too we got to watch that in our prayers too, don't we? Is that it? Isn't that we're just praying for us? We're praying for the Lord's cause, and whether that be by word of mouth or way of life, we pray for that, and we do praise the Lord all the more when we're. We're able to see it happening in the church of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ all the more with every new day. Because every new day that you and I live, that's our calling. And every day when we get to the end of it, we should look back at it and ask ourselves the question, how did the Lord use us today to magnify his name and, and then praise God that, He was able to use us that way for the sake of Christ. My friends, the prelude of the prayer of Acts 4 shows how important prayer is in our times of crisis and how it expresses our unity as we we share in the crises. And the prayer itself teaches that when things seem bigger and stronger than we are, we may have the courage to face them in obedience to the one who is biggest and strongest of all, our sovereign Lord in Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth. Our help, our hope. The postlude of the prayer is a lesson of great confirmation to the church of Jesus Christ. That God not only answers our prayers for the sake of Jesus Christ, but that by way of the bold proclamation of the word of the Lord, the sovereign Lord shakes his world unto faith in Christ. And that our prayers for obedience are answered in accordance with his grace by his spirit. May we be encouraged by a passage like this to draw near to the Lord in prayers, in times of crisis, In times when we're facing challenges bigger than ourselves, so that we might know the courage of Christ in proclaiming Him, trusting Him, and obeying Him. Amen. Let's respond by singing number 13. Excuse me, I'm sorry, hymn number 13. Pardon me if I'm not so quick to find it, but I'm trying. <laughs> it is, uh, yes, hymn 13. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord enthroned on high, he's the everlasting God who made both birth, earth and sky. We'll sing those five stanzas. Hymn 13.